Saludos, saludos, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of Latino Dot Connection. My name is Efraín Reyes, and I am your host for this podcast. Our mission here at Latino Dot Connection is to inspire men and fathers to move forward and create their own legacy. And our vision is to create a community of fathers that are here to support each other in this fatherhood journey. Today, I have a very special episode for you where I get to interview our compadre, Luis Resendez. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and owner of Vida Emotional Wellness in Riverside, California. He's also a speaker and a professor at Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena, California. He also wrote a book, the author, he's the author of What About Dad? Understanding and Addressing Postpartum Depression in Men. I really enjoyed our conversation. We got to talk a lot about men's mental health. We talked a lot about father's mental health and what happens when, you know, we go through this transition of learning that we're going to become fathers and then welcoming our new baby and what are some of the challenges that some of us might go through as this, uh, uh, in this journey. So you're not going to want to miss this episode as we also share strategies on how to overcome these, uh, these challenges. So let's get started with our episode. All right, Luis. Well, muchas gracias. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation and for having this conversation with me. And I would love for you to just introduce yourself to the audience uh, so they can get to know you and, you know, a little bit about your background. How was it growing up for you? Anything that you want to share so that our audience can get to know you a little bit better? Hi, everyone. My name is Luis Resendez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm owner of Vita Emotional Wellness. We're a small group psychotherapy practice based out of Riverside. We specialize in men's mental health issues and trauma. We also have a satellite office out in Upland, but that's mostly for virtual purposes because a lot of our work is done uh, through uh, virtual means, uh, Zoom video and phone sessions and so forth. I've been practicing for, um, gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but this coming June will be 15 years wow. that I've been practicing as a therapist as a whole. Uh, this coming May will be 20 years I've been a mental health professional. Before I started doing therapy, uh, I started working in a group home out in San Dimas, working with at-risk youth. And mm. then I started doing home-based work with um, families who had kids who had disruptive behavioral problems. So I would go mm -hmm. in the home and just teach the parents how to, you know, help the kids cope with what's going on at work in schools and things like that. And then, yeah, I started grad school in 2006 and I graduated in 2010. I did a part-time program, um, which is why it, it took me a little bit longer. And yeah, I've been practicing as a therapist since 2009. And again, I'm just in shock uh, when I actually hear myself saying that every time I hear myself saying that. Uh, as far as my background, yeah, so I was born and raised in the Inland Empire uh, here in Southern California. I was born in uh, San Bernardino, and uh, I pretty much grew up most of my life out here. We moved up north to Central California, Fresno in particular, a couple of times when I was six, seven, and then uh, once again uh, when I was around 10, 11, and then we pretty much stayed down here. And um, yeah, I've, I've been here since I 
you know, went to school out here. I got married out here. I had kids mm -hmm. out here. I'm living my life out here. So the Inland Empire is pretty much just it's 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 my home. It's embedded in my my DNA, I guess, in not so many words. And um, you know, as far as just being a therapist, what led me to that? Just several experiences. My education, believe it or not, when I was pursuing my undergraduate degree was uh, geared towards law enforcement. I was actually hoping to work for the FBI, but then that that didn't pan out. I actually uh, interviewed with the the LAPD and with the California Department of Corrections, and I was actually going through the hiring process with them. But something happened where I just realized I don't know if I want to be working in jails and prisons mm. in my, throughout my life. So I don't know if it was divine intervention or whatnot, but it just steered me in a completely different direction. And um, here I am. I don't regret any of the career choices I had made. Um, if anything, I would have probably went back and told my my younger self, hey, you know, you might want to start these things a little bit sooner um, and just see how far, you know, you'll grow with, uh, in them. I'm already in my mid-40s right now. And, um, you know, just again, if I can go back and give my younger self advice, it would just be that this is your life path, but, you know, you maybe start a little bit earlier. Um, I'm married to a therapist. Uh, my wife and I, this coming May, would be 17 years mm. that we've been married. Wow. And yeah, a long time. So a lot of people, you know, I interview who, you know, who interview me or just have casual conversations with me when they're like 17 years, that's a long time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we joke about it um, all the time, you know, just a, a marriage, it's it's that thing that, you know, just it unfolds as time goes by. It's wonderful. It's fulfilling. There are its, its challenges and what have you, but, you know, good communication is key, you know, in that regard and just being able to problem solve and work together through things. Um, but anyway, to kind of go back is that, yeah, just um, I think to my life experiences led me down my career path. Um, I grew up, you know, in areas infested with drugs and gangs, mm. um, even just the marital discord between my mom and dad and what had happened led to some turmoil in my mm. earlier years. So I think of just not only young me, but a lot of the kids whom I grew up around in that, you know, if they just had, quote unquote, someone to talk to, someone to listen to them, their lives would have probably unfolded a lot differently. But sadly, yeah. that didn't happen. So I think just, you know, my part of my in inspiration and motivation was just that, okay, so how can I be, you know, that listening voice, but a little bit more than that, but, you know, help people, men in particular, uh, just, you know, find their healing path, because we all, you know, encounter those moments in our lives where we have to wind up on the path of healing so it's just okay but we don't know how to do that but with you know support from family and friends yeah that can only go so far because at the end of the day they don't know what to do as well but i think that's where folks like me come in and just you know again we we walk on this journey with them but we let them know that hey you know you can you can do it just keep pressing forward and this you know our just our work you know, it's providing them with that motivation and encouragement to do that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Wow. So I, I know that was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I learned a lot about you actually in these, you know, couple minutes that you shared. Um, 15 years, man. Yeah. Time, time flies. Right. Um, and I didn't know that you were married to a therapist. That's mm -hmm. awesome too. 17 years. Um, also that you worked at, you know, a group home, uh, in that, um, and I would love to go a little bit more deeper into that, into how that working with the youth uh, maybe uh, inspire you to 
to become a, a, a therapist, right? Uh, you mentioned a couple of times, like if I can tell my younger self this advice, you know, or if I can have a listening ear for this generation. So I'm wondering, you know, how did that, you know, you were going towards law enforcement you kind of wanted to be you know working for the fbi and it sounds it sounds great you know that i see all those shows that are like super cool you know but yeah maybe that was not the the, the 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 life path you know for you and you decided to go a different route right more of the you know helping prof uh helping fields uh you know kind of uh listening to others sharing stories and helping people heal so that's that's beautiful. So would you mind telling me a little bit more about like, you know, your experience with the group home and that how that kind of led you into therapy and uh, yeah, anything in between that you want to share with that? Definitely. I, I love sharing this story because it has somewhat of an inspiring ending, I guess. So I started working uh, at McKinley Children's Center in San mm. Dimas in May 2004 and um, it was a shocker my first week. So uh, in on, on the campus, because it was a, a facility, um, it wasn't a detention center, a juvenile hall, but just <laughs> the, the way the units were were, were mapped out, it kind of had somewhat of that feeling uh, to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the units, they were concrete walls and, and what have you. So I, I, I don't blame some of the kids that they felt like they were in juvenile hall, even though yeah. they weren't. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was assigned to the unit of 12 to 14 year olds. And my first day, you know, just uh, the kids are are being rambunctious, they're throwing stuff, they're cussing out the staff. They're mm -hmm. being nice to me because they're filling me out. But about two weeks later, I'm getting cussed at and, you know, insulted mm -hmm. or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, you know, shockingly eye opening in moments where we had to restrain some of the kids. We were trained to restrain the kids when they were becoming a danger to themselves or others. So, you know, right. they were threatening to beat up one of the other kids or assault staff or hurt themselves. So we had to put them on the floor uh, until they calmed down. And I remember the first time doing that with a really big kid, you know, I'm holding one of his legs, the, the other staff members holding another leg. And then we have two staff members in the front kind of like, you know, holding them down in a winged position, like if you were an airplane and just yeah. in that moment, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, Poor kid, he's asking to be let up. Of course, we we eventually let him up, uh, but that you know he didn't want to be on the floor and things yeah. like that and, and resisting. But just thinking to myself at that time, damn, you know, I mean, these poor kids. I, I get that we're trying to keep him safe, but are we causing him any more harm? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a couple of uh, months into my time there, we had a unit therapist. Every unit had a therapist assigned to them. Ours was a guy named Martin. Mm -hmm. And the kids, you know, just despite their whole, you know, just insubordinates or insolence towards the program and things like that, they really look forward to their individual time with Martin and their group time as well. So Martin would come in. Martin was a cool guy, kind of a, a nerdy, uh, older uh, white guy, bald head, goatee. I think the kids kind of like that. So yeah. he'd come in. He kind of had like a like a skater surfer vibe to him as well. So he'd come in. Once in a while, he'd bring the kids snacks and things like that. So he'd be like, all right, let's go ahead and get started with our group. So the kids would go back into the meeting area and they'd be there with him for about uh, an hour, 90 minutes sometimes. And then they'd come out and they they just, they were transformed. They looked really different. 
And, you know, I just saw it as a testimony to what Martin was able to do with them, because even sometimes before uh, they would start their sessions, they'd be really reluctant and that they wouldn't want to go back there and talk to him. So I just thought, wow, you know, Martin has some superpower or something. If these kids are uh, <laughs> coming in one way, going in one way and coming out another. Yeah. And so yeah. I just I, I thought of that. And then, um, you know, as time went by, I kind of connected with the kids a lot more because we had a major staff turnover. And we had to be flexible with the program. And I think that was one of the reasons why we saw the kids as being insolent was that the program was really rigid. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. So mm -hmm. we started being more flexible with that. The kids saw that they appreciated that. And, you know, I, I just felt this deeper connection with them. Yeah. You know, they were rambunctious and, you know, pains in the neck at times, but nevertheless, you know, I kind of took a sense as time went by in my work with them that, I'm here for these kids. I'm being as consistent as I can be because we've had staff coming and going. So um, cut a long story short, uh, early 20, no, 20, uh, early uh, 2005, I guess you can call it 2005. Um, one of my colleagues who had left, uh, she started working for an agency out in Pasadena. And she told me that, hey, we're looking for behavior specialists. If you wouldn't mind driving out to LA County, we pay a heck of a lot more there's a lot of hours and you get paid mileage for driving to the homes and things like that, but you don't have to be dealing with this crap. And she was referring to, you know, what uh, I was working uh, yeah. with that, uh, the, with the kids. Uh, a lot of it too was um, uh, agency politics and things like that. But anyway, I, I gladly, you know, followed up with that uh, offer. I interviewed and I got hired a couple of weeks later. And so I told the kids that I'm going to be leaving the last day. Actually, our manager told me, you know what, just save it for the last day because, you know, we, we just, we, we kind of, we don't want to break it to them uh, over time because just they may do things or whatnot and not so many yeah. words, or they may want to try to get you to stay, yeah. even though your mind has been made up. So yeah, we broke it to them a couple of hours before the end of my last shift. And uh, the kids were just like, man, that sucks. Luis, you're leaving. And who's going to play PlayStation 2 with us? Who's going to mm -hmm. take us for walks? Who's going to take us to the canyon to go ride our bikes and things like that? And in that moment, you know, just my heart was just, it It, it was it was heavy because I knew mm -hmm. I was moving on to, you know, something eventually that would lead to bigger things in my life. But in that moment, despite, you know, the annoyance with the kids and all of these other things I had to endure for about a year, they really cared in the end, you know, and they were telling me that in, in their own ways. And I'll never forget one of the kids in particular who just used to drive me up the wall, uh, right as I was getting ready to leave, he said, don't go. And I'm like, to this very day, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, mm. man, you know, he's probably an adult in his early 30s now. But just like, you know, being there with them and again, enduring their nonsense and their rambunctiousness and things like that, being a consistent factor in their lives as much as I could. I, I think that meant a lot to these kids because a lot of them. Uh, did come from the foster care system, uh, DCFS, LA County Department, Children and Family Services, and they were removed from, you know, their homes because of just, you know, really bad things that had happened. And then we had a couple of probation kids as well. But, you know, just the staff um, being those consistent people, we were kind of by default parents to them. Mm -hmm. So when they started leaving and then the last one who who stayed, stayed a little bit longer but then when he had to go I could even imagine too that a lot of their anxieties were being stirred up as a result of that so um that that year I was there uh interesting experience to say the least 
uh, difficult, but one that, you know what, I, I would go back and do all over again, because just uh, not only the impact I made on these kids' lives, but even what it taught me to about my patience and, you know, my perseverance and, you know, just, just being able to, you know, again, just, just be a force of positive, a force of good in the lives of kids who pretty much didn't have much of that. And especially to male influences, uh, yeah. male positive influences. Yeah. Were all your kids that you were working with uh, boys or was, was it girls or uh, mostly boys? Yeah, no, we were um, an all boy facility. All boy facility. Yeah. So yeah, man, I think that, you know, you being a consistent father figure to them and showing them some some structure, some boundaries, some some care, you know, some love, and you know, I'm definitely can can get bonded with with these, you know, uh, individuals that that support you. And um, it's unfortunate, you know, the, uh, the the boys that are in that foster system because there's so much turnover, like you said, so they don't get that consistency with with these men, right? Um, and it kind of is a cycle, right? We we seen it, right? When we have an absent father, um, it's very hard for them to be a, a present father. I'm not saying you know it happens, but if they they're not being taught how to be that present father, then it can be really difficult, right? Uh, to when now when they have children, to be a a present father. I know, and I I know that you do a lot of work also with fathers, right? You have your book. Uh, that you you wrote about you know uh, fatherhood so I'm wondering um, how do you see this connection right with these boys that are you know struggling and having a hard time not having a father figure and in that moment then that we become a father right especially if I am somebody that had an absent father how does this um, influence how I show up with my children. Yeah, definitely. It, it influences it in so many ways. Uh, I was actually having a conversation with some colleagues about this earlier in that, you know, when men and women too, you know, when they grow up in least ideal circumstances with regards to their parents and a relationship with them, they've had, you know, a broken relationship with a, a parent, both parents, uh, one or both of them were uh, pretty much absent from their lives. Oftentimes, that is uh, the catalyst for positive change in their lives in that, you know, they'll often say to themselves or practice the idea that I'm going to be a better parent than my father, my mother, my parents were. They were not around or they were emotionally unavailable, absent, and what have you. It, it, it drives you to want to be better. You know, in this case, we're talking about fathers is that, yeah, you know, a lot of men who did not have a father in their lives, they will strive to, you know, become a better father. Unfortunately, you get the flip side too, is that a lot of men who grew up uh, without a father or grew up with a broken relationship with the father, um, they will pretty much, you know, be disinterested or they won't put in much of an effort to be available emotionally, physically to their child. Sometimes, unfortunately, a lot of these men don't even stick around. But anyway, um, I think too, it can be a little bit anxiety inducing because when, you know, you just think about again, a man who grew up without a father or his father was there, but just he was emotionally unavailable. 
Yeah. This idea of anxiety that gets stirred up in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just got to make sure that, you know, I'm doing my best work. I'm doing my best work that kind of pushes that man to strive towards towards perfectionism, which at any level doesn't exist, you know, and that includes being a father. So in my book, I talk about a lot of my anxieties um, be during, well, before and during, um, well, before and after, sorry, the birth of my son being related to, am I going to be a good enough father? You know, am yeah. I going to be there for him emotionally? Am I going to yep. be able to provide for him? All of these things and just, you know, sleepless nights and, you know, just feeling down and sad, all of this, because just, just this, this loop of questions fueled by self-doubt and uncertainty, yeah. you know, causing me to feel that way. But, you know, what, if I can go back and tell myself anything, just like you guys talk about in the Latino Dad Connection is that just show up, compadre, just, just be there. Just be there. Be there exactly. in a physical and emotional sense. That's mm -hmm. it. You'll, you'll figure all of the kinks and nuances as time goes by, but just be there. You know, and that's, that's really all that matters because your child at the end of the day, you know, when they're older and they're reflecting on their life with you, you know, maybe they have a family of their own. They're going to remember more than the material items, the gifts and stuff like that, your presence in their life, how involved you were, just even if you were there, if you were there, quote unquote, rather than not being there, being checked out or, you know, whatever it is. So that's that's what counts. And yeah. it's just making sure that our guys know and understand that that is just showing up and being there. Man, thank you so much for like normalizing those those thoughts and those, uh, I, you know, ideas because that's the same things that I had you know when I was gonna be a dad it's like what kind of father am I gonna be am I gonna be able to uh provide for my family like you know and then that made me lead me led me to think about my own father you know and how I grew up um so it really is a I think a, a time where men it's a catalyst for change right when you you learn that you're gonna be a father right and you I think most men, no, I'm not saying all, but most men want to be there for their children, right? Want to mm -hmm. be present. Uh, but there are other circumstances that prevent them from, from actually being present, right? Maybe yeah. it's communication uh, tools, or maybe it's finance tools, or maybe it's, you know, past trauma that they haven't healed, you know? So, I think these things are, are 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 important to deal with, right? Especially in that first year of the baby's life. I think that first year is so critical because mom is also going through postpartum. She's also going through her own journey. And, you know, I, I love the title of your book. What about dad, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Nobody literally thinks about dad, right? It's all <laughs> about mom. But if that is not well and he can support mom, then mom is now usually, you know, not well and can't support baby. So it's a trickle effect, right? Mm -hmm. Of this, of this uh, situation. So in your experience, what do you feel has like, what are some of the struggles that you feel like men and new fathers go through as they welcome the new baby? What have, what have you seen? Yeah. So with, you know, many men um, just, Still, oh, the good majority of men, fathers, new fathers, still, you know, of course, providing, um, you know, working to just make sure that their baby, their family have what they need. And I, I know things have shifted to where mom is also working now, too. So we're talking yeah. about a family unit. Yeah, they're both working. So 
I think, you know, one of the struggles is the fact that um, many men feel like I have to keep going. I have to keep working and working and working. Um, taking any bonding time for me, that was a little tough. I knew I had to do it. Um, but just the idea that, yeah, but I'm going to lose income, even though I wasn't because I had uh, time saved up and things like that. But, you know, just still and even a fear and worry that if he steps away from work, you know, is his job going to be done right? Um, are competent people picking up the slack or, you know, whatever the role is, is that just making sure, okay, are things going to be okay from my at, from my job perspective mm-hmm. if I step away, things like that. Um, and I think even a degree of shock, you know, I know I dealt with it, uh, but just realizing that, yeah, you know, I'm a dad now. I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. So you see this this, this, you know, little baby, this, this version of you or half of a version of you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, this really happened because a lot of us, you know, um, we're, we're told, you know, by the older men in our lives that you're going to be a dad someday. You're going to have a family. How are you going to take care of them and things like that? And, mm-hmm. you know, being young, you know, being kids and then later teenagers, a lot of that, you know, just kind of goes in one year and comes out the other or whatnot. But when it yeah. finally happens, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, this is now's it. the this time. Is yeah. <laughs> now what do I do? You know. Yeah, but, my, my my parents would tell me, "Te vas a acordar cuando eras padre." You know, you're gonna remember me when I when you become a dad. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then uh, now I remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, but I think too. Um, for me, and I, I mentioned this in the book as well. Uh, just you know, having to figure things out figure things out, figure out parenting, figuring out the simple things, how to change a diaper, even though I've had uh, my wife show me, you know, numerous times still, do I have this thing correctly? Or, you know, uh, giving him a bath, uh, you know, making sure that he's fed, burping him and things like that. Mm -hmm. All of those, those simple, but nevertheless, important things that, you know, we have to do in the initial phases, making sure that, you know, we have it down is bolted to a T as much as we can, but even wondering, you know, but am I doing this correctly or what have you? But then even, you know, in the midst of all that, me thinking again ahead that, okay, well, what about when he's older? You know, am I going to be able to, you know, just um, take him to school? And I I mean, I knew I was going to do those things, but just, am I going to be able to take him to school in the right way? And and, and this all went back to just, you know, my, my, my self doubts and that, okay, but am I going to, be up to task? Am I going to do as best of a job as I can? And not just realizing that, hey, you know, kids aren't born with instruction manuals. I mentioned this a couple of times in the book. You you just figure it out on your own. Yeah, you can have family members, uh, you know, people who already raise kids, give you their advice and things like that. And it's good, but a lot of it's not going to be applicable because your situation is going to be different than theirs. So, yeah, a lot of self-doubt, um, I think, um, but even to just concerns about the future. You know, we live in uncertainty, uh, especially nowadays and what's going to happen like economically and things like that. So I think for, um, you know, a good jo- majority of the men out there, my, myself included when I was in this situation, is that, yeah, you know, but work and how am I going to be able to maintain a job? And, you know, uh, what if uh, I, uh, there's layoffs or things like that? There's that uncertainty. But what I would tell any men who are struggling with that right now, it's just, you know what, be present. The now is all you have. There's no need to, you know, try to predict the future because just even your past at a personal level was 
so not good that you're trying to steer away from that. Just focus on the present and the here and now, because in many regards, it's all we have. It's all we have with our kids, with ourselves, with our families. Definitely, man. Definitely. I think presence is key and just being present in the here and now and being present with your children, uh, which can be the hardest task if there's so many things that you have going on in your life, such as, you know, your job, problems, finances, all kinds of things. And then the other thing, too, is I, I always also work with a lot of fathers. One thing that I tell them is like a lot of us maybe didn't have this role model of helping out at home or helping out in childcare, uh, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. Uh, I never saw that within my tios or my dad, you know, every time the baby pooped is like, here, here's a baby, <laughs> you know, you change the diaper. Yeah, exactly. I never saw like my dad, like, um, or, or my tios again, like be involved in showering the baby. Uh, it was more of the provider role, right? Like I get from, from work, I, I, I provide, and that's my job and that's it. Um, but now we know that there's a lot more to fatherhood than that. And that children really do benefit and do well when men are are more involved, right? Um, yes. So I think uh, it's it's like that uh, cycle that we're breaking and, and relearning how to how to do that. So I think that that's very key. Um, mm -hmm. Would you mind sharing? So you talked about some of the struggles. What do you think are some key tools or things that men can do to either be present or just to uh, overcome some of these challenges? What are some things that you feel that are important? Yeah. So I would say that if men, uh, new fathers in particular, if they're noticing that after the birth of their child, they're, they're struggling, you know, they're mm -hmm. uh, not motivated, low energy, uh, trouble sleeping, eating, isolating from family, friends, irritable, things like that, accepting what is happening. Because mm -hmm. acceptance is the catalyst for change. When we can accept that mm -hmm. we're not in a quote unquote good place, all right, as uncomfortable as it is, we'll by default, you know, go to just start thinking, okay, but what do I need to do to not feel this way? So um, I think what's also uh, critical too, it's not just, you know, what the men can do. I'm going to kind of go off on a small tangent here, but those around him. Um, you know, partners, wives, spouses, girlfriends, you know, the, the the child, child's mother, that person being tuned into him, you know, and mm -hmm. just seeing or being being able to take notice of his struggles. You know, again, yeah. if they notice him, he's really irritable, he's not eating, he's withdrawing from people, he may be drinking more, he may be sleeping a lot or having trouble sleeping. Them taking notice of that, maybe family, friends also taking notice of that and, you know, approaching him in a non-confrontational, non-threatening way, pointing these things out and just trying to solicit his, his response, you know, and basically right. him coming forward and that I'm not in a good place. If the, 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 the bridge can be uh, built in not so many words, if uh, that gap can be closed and him coming forward and that, okay, I'm struggling right now. Then, you know, the family, friends, partners, people in the community, then, okay, within uh, their best abilities, encourage them to seek support. You know, talk to your primary care doctor, because it's often a primary care doctor who's the first person to refer someone for mental health services. Or if they want to, if he wants to do that on his own, you know, talk to a therapist, 
yeah. uh, you know, talk to a psychologist or whatnot. Sometimes even to reaching out to, uh, you know, uh, if they're into their 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 church, their faith, pastoral uh, support and things like that. But the community, his family, being able to also come forward and remind him there is help, kind of you know give him those pushes and nudges, but reminding him too that he's got to take those steps in that direction. I think that that's really key. But um, also even normalizing, you know, per this conversation that we're having and other conversations that be, may be had in the community that, you know, men struggle with this. This is real. And, you know, a man struggling, it's not any indication of him being able to, you know, again, be a father, be mm. strong, quote unquote. No, this is just part of the human condition. As humans, you know, we're going to suffer in our lives one way or another but accepting that again is what's going to allow us to just kind of transcend that and you know get into a journey of healing so um yeah you know social support but i would even say too really quickly with family and friends those people who may approach him uh for support is that you know be sincere in that too when you know he comes forward be willing to listen to him no judgment no putting your agenda things like that and also to not saying things that, you know, even though he may be coming forward, you may be feeling a little bit of stress related to that, but nothing that's going to minimize him or make him feel like, well, I just told him and they told me that I said too much and, you know, it was more than they could take. So now I feel even worse that I finally came forward, but then those around me are kind of pushing me away and not so many words. I think that's one thing too, that family, friends, partners also need to be aware of. Yeah. Wow, man, that's that's a great advice, great advice. And I think it's, it's so key too. like you mentioned community, right? And mm -hmm. be, being able to accept what's happening, it, like you mentioned, is a catalyst for change and seeking out that that support. Um, and then, you know, having the community really support that that individual, the man or the woman. You know, we're talking about men today, about fathers. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes it it's hard to find the community that can really, um, you know, support men, you know, because they, I, I think we've been conditioned uh, about like with masculinity, oh, men are tough, they can take it, you know, nos, nos podemos aguantar, you know, they're, they're okay, you know, but mm. a lot of times, you know, we're not, you know, and it's important for, for people to reach out, right, and 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 check in on on their on their loved ones especially if they're going through this major change in their life of becoming mm -hmm. a dad right uh, there's a big big shift that takes a lot of effort takes a lot of energy and it's so good to have that community around you to support you um want to change the subject a little bit yeah. i want to talk about uh you know you mentioned you work with young adults uh men and young adults and some of the struggles that they go through as we are seeing this shift in, you know, healthy masculinity and emotional intelligence and things like that, you know, are kind of like the buzzwords right now. Mm -hmm. What are some of the the, the struggles of uh, these young men, uh, you know, Generation C, as they are, you know, growing up and becoming uh, men? Yeah, definitely. Um, Is that, you know, understanding and accepting and being okay with the idea of healthy masculinity. Um, with respect to fathers, I, I would even refer to it as balanced masculinity, where, mm. you know, on one hand, you are the provider and protector, but on the other hand, you are also a comforter 
in a nourisher. So even some of those traditional roles that were filled by mom, you know, father's also doing that and vice versa, you know, because again, with um, mothers now, many of them working is that, yeah, they're also providing too. So there's a blending of that, which is pretty cool to see. But, um, you know, with regard to especially young men in our Latino community, what I've been noticing a lot in my work over the past couple of years, again, with a lot of the um, Gen Z clients I work with is, you know, this, this whole struggle, internal struggle in that, yes, many of these men, they do want to, you know, um, practice and adhere to the idea of healthy, balanced masculinity, but they're, you know, just running into just some, just some concerning uh, responses or whatnot from a lot of the men in their lives, you know, Theos, some cases, fathers, grandfathers in that, you know, them being expressive with their emotions more than they were, the older men is that that is not adhering to, you know, traditional masculine norms. And let's just be honest, you know, machismo and things like that. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, to a lot of the stress, uh, especially with a lot of single young men I've worked with, and that, you know, just when I'm trying to, you know, uh, win the affections, for lack of better words, of young women, I often feel like I'm trying to work really hard to show them that I am not, you know, um, a, a machista. I'm not, you know, a Chad, as they're called. Oftentimes, I'm not that guy who has sinister ulterior motives. I want to meet you, you know, maybe connect with you at a deeper level. I want to give my time, energy, and effort to you because I'm interested in you. But, you know, again, a lot of that pushback because of maybe with a lot of these young women, bad experiences with men who had that macho vibe to them and things like that. So that's that's a source of uh, a lot of emotional distress and with the, a lot of young men I'm working with is that, again, you know, their intentions are to just maintain healthy masculinity, but, but convincing the men that, hey, I am masculine. You know, I do have these um, uh, parts of my identity, so to speak. But a lot of the women, especially to, again, the ones that they're uh, interested in, in establishing relationships that I'm not like him and him being, right. you know, some of the, 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 the guys that they did dated before that just weren't, weren't good guys and not so many words. Yeah, man. I really like this idea of balance, uh, masculinity. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really like, I have a hard time with healthy masculinity because masculinity is so broad, you know, yeah. so broad. And I think being balanced and honest with, who you are wh whoever you are man or woman but we're talking about men right now masculinity uh and being able to shift right like you mentioned uh if you, parts of you uh need to be more nurturing need to be more caring because you're carrying your baby that's okay and then when you go to work you know you turn in that warrior and you gotta get things done right and yeah. that's okay and being able to kind of navigate these two worlds these two energies has been key for me um, and not to feel less than like if I need to go and have a tea party with my daughter and pay my nails, that's okay. Cause I'm bonding with my daughter. Right. Yeah. And I go out and, you know, do, uh, 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 you know, hit the bag with some boxing gloves. That's fine too. You know, so there's no right or wrong way. It's just like the judgments that other men and society has put on, what it is to be a man in in today's age and i'm so glad that these young men are starting to make those shifts right make those mm -hmm. shifts from a from an early age compared to me that i'm kind of like 
trying to unlearn some of these yeah. these beliefs and not relearn new beliefs right and I think definitely that, yeah definitely. It, it, i think it's going in a good direction you know in terms of um what men are and just to be more more connected to to each other and to their family mm -hmm. all right Luis. well thank you so much man i really appreciate your time um give you some last minutes to just share anything that you want to share and how do people find you find your work any projects that you may be working on anything that you want to share yeah, definitely. So I'll start with my uh, social media plugs. So um, feel free to find me on Instagram at Vita Emotional Vita, as in life, and then the, the word emotional attached to it. On TikTok, I really don't post a TikTok that much, but I'm going to change that soon. Um, Vita.emotional as well. Um, as far as finding me on the web, my website is VitaSoCal.com. So SoCal, uh, like Southern California, you can just uh, also Google Luis Resendez. Um, as far as, you know, just connecting with me, uh, from a service perspective, I do offer free 15 minute consultations to anyone who's interested in services. If they have, you know, any points that they like to share to see if, uh, you know, they'd like to work through them in therapy. Uh, I do offer that. My phone number is 951-220-8607. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will have all the links on the show notes for you. So you don't have to, you know, go back and, and remember that, but, you know, we'll have those in the show notes. So that way you can, you know, you know, click and connect with Luis and all the great work that he's doing. Also check out his book. What about dad? So thank you so much again. Looking forward to having maybe another conversation. Another yes. And we need to have more conversations. I know. We could have probably gone on for about another hour or so. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we got to, you know, save it for the next one. So, yeah, definitely. So, you know, definitely stay tuned. And thank you so much. And remember, let's keep showing up. <laughs>